Welcome to the So We Speak podcast. This is Terry Fakes. Cole and I are planning to do the second part of our deconstruction episode. This would be the episode that talks about the pastoral approach to deconstruction. However, Cole is out of town today, and so I thought instead I would share with you some thoughts on John the Baptist. Like most of you, we either hear or read the Christmas story at this time of year. And as I was reading through the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus, and the events surrounding that, I was struck by several things in the life of John the Baptist and thought I would share with you a short meditation on him and on his life. In the Gospel of Luke, We read about Zechariah and Elizabeth and how they had prayed to God for a child because they were unable to have children. And you can imagine as they get older and older and the the disappointment, the frustration, the yearning that they would have for a child. And so the Gospel of Luke opens with good news, not the ultimate good news of the birth of Christ and the forgiveness of sins, but good news for a couple who've been praying for years for a baby. In Luke chapter 1, let me pick up at verse 8. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, speaking of Zechariah, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, because he will be great before the Lord. Now he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared." As I pause there in my reading and thinking on it as a parent, what greater news could you get than that you were going to have a child? And even more so, I think, with Zechariah and Elizabeth after years of prayer and as they got older and it seemed less and less likely that this would happen, what joy had to have filled them. But even more, they were told that he would be great before the Lord. And for those of you that are parents and those of you that are not can certainly imagine what it would be like not only to know that you would have a child, but this child would be great before the Lord, would be favored by the Lord, would be noticed by the Lord, would be used by the Lord in some great way. And then to add to that, that this child would be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. Now, we as Christians 
being sealed with the Spirit of God, maybe take that a little bit for granted. But in those days, the presence of the Holy Spirit and anointing, if you will, of the Holy Spirit was a mark of God's favor, certainly, but a mark of distinction that you had been called out for some special work for the Lord. And so you're going to have a baby. They're going to have a baby who will be great before the Lord and who will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And they had to have rejoiced like we can hardly imagine. But you and I know the rest of this story. And I honestly think it's God's grace that at this time they did not know the rest of this story. You see, we know that as John the Baptist would grow and begin his ministry, he would lead a very lonely life. He would live in the desert. He would, as the scripture says in Matthew, he would eat locust and wild honey. He would be wearing a camel skin with a leather belt. And as a parent, you know that's a lonely life. Even though that's a life in the service of God, there's still a part of your heart that yearns for your child to be fulfilled or happy. And yet, here's John the Baptist, single-mindedly embarked on following God. But at the time of his birth, his parents probably didn't realize what that would mean. Now, on a practical level, as he grew and he goes out and he begins his ministry in the desert, you have to stop and think as a parent that the kid's wearing a camel skin, he's eating locusts, and he lives in the desert. And that pretty much shoots any chance of grandkids you had hoped for. Uh, not too many girls going to date a guy like that, and very few girls are going to sign up for that kind of life. And so as parents, you, you realize the cost of this, if you will. And again, it's, I'm not comparing it unfavorably to the calling of God. I'm simply saying that uh, it's not all just roses and joy, that with that mission also comes challenge. And then, of course, perhaps the cruelest blow to his parents is his murder by Herod. And not only his murder by Herod, but his murder because of the whim of a dancing girl. The injustice of it and the seeming pointlessness from a human point of view would just be crushing. Now, you and I knew know that John the Baptist did exactly what God called him to do and that God never promised that it would always be joyful or that the road would be easy. And frankly, God doesn't promise us that either. Nevertheless, as I put myself in their place in that moment of joy, I thought to myself, if we could see the road for our children, would we be as faithful? And you know, I really do think God is gracious to reveal to us what we need to know at the time. I'm reminded of Jesus' prayer. I think about this a lot when he says, give us today our daily bread. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, when he talks about sufficient for today is its own trouble. And I think that's a way of reminding us and teaching us that God sees all the way down the road, but it's not necessary, and frankly, it's not even desirable for us to see too far down the road. And so that's the way it was for Zechariah 
and Elizabeth and John, and they rejoiced at him. But one other thing that piqued my interest in this is it says, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, most of you realize that in Malachi chapter 3, there was a prophecy uh, at the tail end of Malachi talking about God would send a messenger. He would send Elijah to proclaim the coming of the Messiah, commonly understood as a messianic prophecy. And so here's the first mention you get that this John, when he grows up, is going to, in some sense, go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah for the mission of turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and making ready for the Lord his people. Well, that brought to mind the ministry of Elijah so many centuries before. And if you remember in 1 Kings chapter 18, we read the story of Elijah. At that time, there was an evil king, Ahab, and he had married a foreign girl, Jezebel. And they began, particularly Jezebel, who seemed to be the the real decision maker in that family. And Jezebel began to lead the people of Israel astray by establishing the worship of Baal as the state religion, basically, and by putting up altars to Baal everywhere. And the social pressure and the enticement to worship Baal, as your political leaders did, was overwhelming to Israel. In fact, Elijah complains to the Lord that he thinks he's the only one who's still faithful to God. And God says, that's not quite right. There are still 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal, but I have to be honest with you, that's not a lot of people. And so Elijah's right in the sense that it's, this has been a very successful campaign to turn Israel away from God. And so our story opens in 1 Kings 18, about chapter 20. Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. If you remember, there are all these prophets of Baal, and Elijah says, let's just have a showdown. And so Elijah gets onto Mount Carmel, and all the people are gathered there, and and listen to what Elijah does. Elijah came near to all the people, and he said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow Baal. And the people did not answer him a word. And so what you see here is just a really sad story of God's chosen people who have so far drifted from God that when it comes time to declare themselves publicly, if Yahweh is God, then by all means follow him. But if you believe Baal is God, then follow Baal. And they were undecided. They said, we don't know. And so you remember the story. Elijah said, set up two altars and put wood on it and uh, basically put a sacrifice on it. And you prophets of Baal go first and whoever, whosoever God calls down fire to light this wood and burn up this sacrifice, then this will be a sign that this is the real God. And so the prophets of Baal limped along and danced and cut themselves and were ever more fervent in their calling for Baal to send down fire, and he doesn't. And so Elijah then says to the people, come near me. 
And I pick up again in verse 36. And Elijah the prophet came near, and he prayed, O Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Yahweh, answer me, so that this people may know that you, O Yahweh, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Remember the phrase in Luke where it said he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And here you have Elijah saying that you are turning their hearts back to you. Well, right after that, the fire fell from heaven, and of course it consumed the wood, it consumed the stones, it licked up all the water they poured on it. And when the people saw this, they fell on their faces, and they said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he really is God. And so you see in the story of Elijah, in a smaller sense of God calling his people back to him, by sending his messenger. Well, that's John the Baptist. That's his mission. His mission is to, as Luke chapter 1 says, to make ready for the Lord a people that are prepared. That's the second thing that hit me about this, is I don't know if you've thought about this or not, but if you began your career, let's say, you came out of college, you begin your career, and you've got high hopes, or you've got plans, and then someone says to you, yes, I know exactly the way the rest of your life's going to go, I know exactly what your career's going to be. You have been specially chosen and specially groomed for this task. And you'd be excited, right? You'd be saying, wow, I'm somebody really special. And then they told you that what you had been chosen for, what you had been groomed for, was to get ready for somebody else to come along and lead the company or someone else to come along and be the main attraction. Well, it might take the wind out of your sails a little bit. And you'd say, wow, that's, that's really uh, something that I've, I'm special and I've been chosen. But basically, you're telling me that my whole life is going to be spent preparing for somebody else. And that's exactly what John the Baptist's mission in life was. In Luke chapter 3, you see his realization of this. This is not a secret to John the Baptist. Uh, Luke chapter 3 talks about the beginning of John's ministry. It says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate was the governor, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee. These are historical markers that Luke puts in, which is, by the way, fairly common in Greek biography or Greek history is to set the context by marking it in a specific time in history. So he goes on and gives some more markers. And uh, he says, John, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, while he was in the desert. And John went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance. Repentance, of course, meaning turning or changing for the forgiveness of sins. He's calling Israel back to her God. Just as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, 700 years before this, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, 
prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill be made low, and the crooked become straight, and the rough places become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And so this John the Baptist comes into his ministry knowing, knowing that he is preparing the way for someone else. And you know, that's probably the greatest thing, as I thought about it, that could be said about a life. On the one hand, a little disappointing, isn't it, to know your second fiddle and you're just there to prepare uh, someone. You're the setup crew, if you will, for the main attraction. And yet being faithful in that endeavor brought him great praise from Jesus himself. In chapter 3, verse 15, it says the people were in expectation and they were all asking themselves in their hearts saying, could John be the Messiah? And John, this is interesting because John is very comfortable with his role. He says, look, I baptize you with water, but the one who is mightier than I am is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with fire. And with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. So John was single-minded in his focus. John was very faithful in executing what God had given him to do. He had the gift and the blessing of clarity. And I sometimes think, as I was meditating on this, I think sometimes our difficulties as Christians and some of the, oh, I don't know, the ups and downs of the Christian life, some of the challenges that we have, of course, many of these things are external. They are the work of the enemy. They are the difficulties of life that Jesus told us would happen. But sometimes I think we lack clarity. And by that I mean is it's easy to forget as we go about our lives it's, you know, thinking that we're the center of this little universe, it's easy to forget that we too have a mission and that our mission is to prepare the way. Jesus speaks so highly of John the Baptist, and I thought, who would not want to hear these words from Jesus? In uh, Luke chapter 7, John's in prison. He's going to shortly be killed by Herod. And after John's messengers have gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. He said, what did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? You know, some kind of spectacle? What did you go to see? Did you go to see a man dressed in soft clothing? In other words, did you go to see a successful follower of God? Those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What did you go to see? A prophet? Yes, he said, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written in Malachi several hundred years earlier. Look, says the Lord, I send my messenger before you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, Jesus said, among those born of women, among human beings, there is none greater than John. And in what sense is he saying that? Well, John was a great orator. John had a great following. But you and I both know that the reason 
that John is considered so righteous is because of John's faithfulness. John's ability to accept God's mission to him to prepare the way for his Lord and to turn the hearts of the people back to their God. You know, sometimes I stop in these stories and I'm reading it and I say, who am I in this story? Well, obviously in this story, I am one of those people that needs their hearts turned back to God. And I suspect at one time in your life, you were that way too. But once we come to know Christ and once we surrender our lives to Christ, we're no longer those people hearing that word and needing repentance. We are the people who are now in the family business. We are, the, we are John the Baptist. That's who we are in this story now that we're followers of Christ. And that really hit me with some huge implications. We are here for the same reason John was. We're here to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. We're here to prepare for the coming of the Lord. How? In exactly the same way that John was. To proclaim the good news to the people and call them to repentance, meaning turn their hearts back to the Lord. John came preaching, repent and believe the good news. And honestly, that's exactly what we've been charged to do. We literally are modern day John the Baptist, if you will. Now, I know sometimes we get a little complacent about the second coming because so, something so great has happened in our past, and that is the birth of this baby Jesus in a manger, his burden of sin born on the cross for us, and his resurrection. And sometimes it's easy to think that that baby in the manger was the end of the story. But as I read this, it really hit me that that was actually the beginning of our story. That was the beginning of our mission. You and I both know we're not here just to sit on our laurels and say, wow, we're going to go to heaven. Let's just manage through this life and kind of wait it out, and uh, then we get to be in heaven. I mean, none of us think that that's what we're here for. We all know that we're on mission for God, but it really hit me in reading this story of how much like John the Baptist we are. I admire his single minded devotion to God. I admire his willingness to put aside everything else if necessary in his life to accomplish that mission. Now, you and I aren't necessarily called to put aside marriage or kids, or, uh, and we're not necessarily called to wear camel skin and live in the desert. But the point is, we're, we're called to have that same attitude, I think, and that is to have that unwavering devotion to the calling of God, to prepare the way for the Lord. One of the things that uh, I think of when I think of John the Baptist and look at his life in retrospect is John the Baptist lived uh, a challenging life. It was an obedient life. It was, I think, joyful in the sense of knowing he's doing God's will, but it was hard. It was not an easy life, obviously. And the thing that makes it even harder is that he didn't reap the rewards of his effort. In other words, John the Baptist was there to prepare the way, not just for Jesus, but his efforts were going to be enjoyed by other people. The people that heard him 
we're going to reap the fruit of repentance. You and I get to look at his life and what he sacrificed and how faithful he was. And we can say, partly because he was faithful to the mission, we get to reap the rewards of life in Christ that we have. And then it hit me. If we are indeed like John the Baptist and we're called to that uh, unwavering devotion to God, we're called to that single-minded focus on our calling from God to spread the good news and prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, then there's a sense in which we too need to give up the appreciation of the fruit of our efforts in that the highest calling I think that we could have is to invest our lives as servants of the Lord and others coming after us would reap that fruit. Now, for those of you that are parents, you know that there's a sense in which that's certainly true with your children, is you work hard for them, both materially, of course, but you work hard to rear them in the spirit and admonition of the Lord, and you, you wish to bequeath to them the fruit of a life in Christ, and you will make sacrifices for that to happen. But with John the Baptist, and like John the Baptist, I think we're called beyond that circle, and there is a very real sense in which we should not expect to see the fruit of our labor. If we are faithful servants preparing the way for the Lord, he has recipients of that labor marked out in the future. And I think if we are faithful to do that, then we too might hear those kinds of words from Jesus. What did you go out to see? What did you expect? A prophet, yes, and more than a prophet. This was a faithful woman. This was a faithful man. And so as I read through this story and I paused just a little bit to think about a part of it that I don't normally think deeply about, and that is John the Baptist, it struck me how much our calling is like his and how much our lives may be like his and how much we should have the hope that the greatest fruit in our life will be in the future and we won't necessarily see it until that great day. I wish you all a very Merry Christmas from So We Speak. And as we contemplate that baby in a manger that's the hope of all the world, let us also recommit ourselves to the unwavering devotion and the single-minded focus on our calling. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast.